You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for his purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode number 22 of the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today and equipping you to make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. You know, one of the biggest challenges I've encountered or maybe better said have tried to avoid as a parent of tweens and teens is the trap of social media likes and clicks. I've shared before that our boys are both musically inclined, and anytime people listen to them or or listen, probably I could extend this to any kind of children that have musical talent, we get all these questions or requests to create a YouTube channel for them because people want to listen to them. They think it's extraordinary that young children play music, and it is great. I'm not, you know, I'm a a proud mom. I, I like to show off my kids, but I have resisted opening a YouTube account for them because I don't want them at this age to get caught up in the idea of finding any kind of worth or value in how many likes or clicks that they get on social media. So, you know, I occasionally will share a clip of them playing their their fiddles on my own personal IG account, but I've just really tried to avoid it. Otherwise, I think it can often make them feel like they're on an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, um, I agree. And I know it from personal experience because I am one that loves social media and I work on social media. So it's something that I can't avoid, but I can tell when I'm getting wrapped up in whether this post that I thought was amazing is getting a lot of likes or not or comments or um, when I'm even on social media and being influenced by others and buying things that I would never would have considered before because it looks so good when somebody else shares it. Or even, you know, I've talked before about loving the running community on Instagram, but it's easy to get caught up in feeling not very fast or like you didn't do anything very special because you didn't race that weekend. or And nobody's saying that. You just can get those feelings from what other people are posting, and it's not the full story. Like, it never is. We know from our own, you know, our own experience that when we're posting something, we're not always sharing the rest of the week that went up to leading, you know, to that event that was really special. Or even, you know, (laughs) I think of the story of just about every family that's headed to church on a Sunday morning and shows up looking all nice and, you know, groomed and everybody's happy and smiling, except they were fighting all the way to church (laughs) and probably before they left for church as well. We have that on social media now. We are seeing the finished product and not everything else. And um, I can admit 
that I am one that has fallen prey to that. And I am a mature woman, not a kid. Yes. Yes. I think in our context, sometimes the before clip looks like little brother poking big brother in the eye with his bow, his fiddle bow, you know, like right before (laughs) we go, right before we go live and then a fist fighter, you know, something like that. It happens, right? It's, it's, it's this reality living that we're going to talk about today that really does mess with our kids and, and with us as adults. I think it's good for us to acknowledge that right off of the bat. Our guest today was just with us last week as well, talking about the anxiety epidemic in girls today, and it was an amazing talk. If you missed that one, go back and listen to episode number 21. You can find a link to it in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. This week, Sissy Goff is helping us take a look at the effects of reality living, as we're calling it, on our kids. What kind of effect does it have on a young mind when they're living for the next like? We're going to dive in with her and find out. Sissy Goff is a veteran counselor and the director of child and adolescent counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. Since 1993, she has been helping girls and their parents find confidence in who they are and hope in who God is making them to be. I love that part, both as individuals and as families. She's the author of several books, again, all of which you should go purchase right now, including her newest called Raising Worry-Free Girls. Sissy, we are so glad to have you on the show today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry for those who might not have tuned in last week. Well, I'm so glad to be back with y'all. I forget that we're on a podcast. I just I'm sitting here looking at y'all on my computer and thinking we're all just hanging out and getting the That's podcast. right. It's good stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, so I am a part of an amazing staff of people called Daystar Counseling Ministries, as you said, and we're based out of Nashville. And we are in a cute yellow house with a white picket fence and our offices look like living rooms and we have dogs on staff and we have 1,600 families that are currently a part of Daystar. And Daystar has been in existence since 1985. And I've been there since 93. And so I love getting to do that every day. And the most exciting part of me right now is that I have a nine-month-old nephew who named Henry that I get to spend a lot of time with. And so just even as you're talking about reality living, I mean, I think watching him and thinking, what is his life going to be like growing up in this age of technology and all the different things that are inundating them daily? And it's just, it's fascinating to think about and worrisome to think about too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a few minutes to set the stage by explaining what we mean by reality living. It isn't exactly the same conversation as that of how social media as a whole affects our kids. We are specifically talking about waiting for that next click or like, or feeling like one, you know, like you have to share every single aspect of your lives and then wait for the approval of others to feel okay about it. What are you seeing in your practice about reality living? Exactly what you just described. I mean, the amount of kids who put up a post check how many times it's liked and then take it down. And, and even just that one thing basically says, whatever I experienced isn't valid unless enough people approve of it. You know, what a dangerous message for the kids we love to get or to be telling themselves over and over. And it's obviously it's reinforced, not just daily, but like constantly because of the amount that they're just plugged in. We've talked a lot before about how, uh, you know, when we were growing up, 
you could do something really stupid at school, or maybe you did something really great at school. And when you got home, you were able to get away from the, the prying eyes of your peers and come home to, you know, your safe place where you could just get away and, and not have to worry about judgment. You had that, that space, but we, our kids today don't seem to have that space anymore. Everything they do is under a microscope and it's by choice. It's not that they're, you know, it's not that anybody's forcing them to live that way, but you know, maybe oftentimes they're seeing it in us as their parents as well as we're doing that too. But it just seems like everything is under a microscope. And as we know from science, if we leave something under a microscope too long, it can sometimes get burned. So it's important for us, I think, to discuss how this is impacting them as kids. What does it do to them? You know, I think we talked on our last episode about anxiety, and I think that's absolutely one of the pieces because I think they just don't have a sense of confidence in who they are. I think their their self-esteem is so dictated by very transient things. And so there's this up and down emotionally that they're experiencing and a lack of predictability. And I think that creates both of those things cre- are creating more anxiety and more depression in kids than we've ever seen before as a result of what the likes and the not likes and all those things are doing to them. Yeah. And we, we can't even blame it on whether someone actually likes what you did or not, because having worked in the social media world work, I mean, that's what I do for a living. I know that you might not be getting likes because nobody's seeing your post because the the algorithm changed for whatever the social media is and kids are attaching their feelings and their worth to whether that's happening, happening or not. And it may not have anything to do with whether their friends liked it or not, or whether people saw it. And so it's like doubly dangerous because it could be related to what friends are doing, but it also could be completely up to whatever changed within the app that they are finding their worth in. And they think it's, you know, an emotional thing. Cause we've, we've felt that as a ministry, like why isn't anybody seeing what we're doing? And, you know, <laughs> and it's because something changed with the technology, but it feels personal right. and they don't understand that. Like it could be completely related to, friends or peers and that what they're doing, but it could be completely unrelated, but it doesn't matter. It still affects how they're feeling. Well, and I love that you're talking about that. And I think part of the breakdown is I feel like we talk about that with ourselves a lot as adults, but we're not talking to them about it. And so often it's because they don't want to hear it or, you know, they're looking at their phone the whole time we're talking to them, but it seems so good for us to be having those conversations with them. Yeah, because they don't they don't understand that there are multiple factors at play that they may have no idea about. Exactly. Well, and I think about how as adults, you know, I remember the first time I ever learned that our brains are not fully developed until we're about 24 years old. And I happened to be about 23 point nine 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 when I learned that so it was like this really big thing (laughs) everybody was joking well you're not your brain is not full and I was working full-time and you know all that stuff but um I remember that and I I often think about that in terms of my own kids and how they're processing things so I'm thinking if you know as Erin is saying 
as we have trouble or if we have trouble as fully functioning adults whose brains are fully developed, if we struggle with feeling this pressure to, to need to have a certain amount of likes or with getting some kind of self-worth or validation from the response that we get on social media, how does it impact our kids whose brains are not fully developed yet? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's part of that where emotionally it's causing them to struggle in ways it hasn't ever before. And I mean, I think even the, the constant, I mean, I think it creates, I mean, the rates of addiction and technology are significantly on the rise, but I think it creates even more of that because I'm not getting fulfilled in the way I'm longing to be. And so I'm going to have to look more or even I'm going to have to, you know, when you think about when you were sitting in sixth grade, the things that other kids would do to get attention were not good, but it wasn't to the degree of kids texting and I mean, sending photos, all the things that they're doing now. And you know, again, I just sit with families all the time who are encountering that. And I think it's because I'm not getting enough likes or I'm not getting as many as I did on that, or I'm not getting as much attention. And so I've got to take it to the next level is a huge part of that. Right. And I think some of the things that um, our kids dealt with, or maybe we dealt with in life that were the harder things or the harder temptations that came when we were 17, 18, 19, 20 are now coming. It seems to me as I have a, a kid who's, you know, 14 going into the ninth grade um, that it's, they're dealing with that stuff that I didn't have to deal with until I was at least four to five years older than them. You had a little more brain development. Yeah, just a little, yeah. but you know, every little bit helps. <laughs> yes, every little bit helps. You're right. It's getting younger and younger. So let's get specific with the genders because I suspect there's some overlap in the way reality living affects them, but there are also probably some notable differences that parents should be aware of as well. Can you help us understand how this living for likes thing affects boys and girls differently? You know, I, I, I obviously sit with girls so much more of the time in counseling, and I think it is affecting girls profoundly. And it's, I think it's giving them such a skewed sense of what relationship looks like. And, and the two apps that I hear about the most in my office anymore are Instagram, but also Snapchat. <clears throat> and Snapchat, you know, and I think as soon as we learn one thing about these apps, they morph and start another one. But, but Snapchat is, I mean, I, it is how they communicate so much of the time, but it is also, you know, there are things like, now there's location settings with Snapchat. And so, you know, we used to hear about the birthday party we got left out of. Then it was, they saw it splashed all over Instagram. Now they see a real time bubble on their snap map where all their friends are together and they're not. And so, you know, I think that piece of it, and you can rate your friends, the amount of streaks you have with a certain friend, which I talk about streaks in the anxiety book, because I think it is absolutely contributing to that. But the amount of streaks you have with a certain friend elevates their rating in your friend system and Snapchat. And so, you know, I think you you have this false sense of intimacy with people. But then I think they don't know. I, I saw somebody speak on female friendships that talked one time about how girls don't have language for acquaintances. So it's only strangers or it's best friends. 
And so they often put best friend expectations on acquaintances. And that's where they run into trouble relationally. And so I think social media and likes and all of that response on social media is furthering that whole situation where they don't have a healthy sense of give and take and a normal progression of building a relationship with a friend, like what it looks like to develop intimacy and a friendship. I think they're losing all of that, which is, is I think super concerning for where they're going in terms of adulthood and relationships. Yeah. And I, you know, I can see on the flip side, as far as boys go, when, when the boys see um, the girls, you know, constantly putting forth the best moments of their lives, then the expectation, and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, this is just my mental progression here, the expectation is that they should be like that all the time. Like, yeah. This is what a girl should be like. And right. then when they actually do get to know that girl and she's not like that, there's a sense of letdown and disappointment in the boy, but there also may be, again, just seems like everything circles back to anxiety. There may be this anxiety or feeling of expectation on the girl that I have to be this all the time. I can't ever let him see what I actually am because he won't like me because this is who he thinks I, I am based on my pictures. So it's a cycle Definitely. between the two sexes. Yes. I think that's gotten so much worse. Yeah. And I, I would think with boys, just from conversations that I hear in groups of boys here and there, you know, I have two in middle school and one in elementary. There's lots of talk about how fast, how strong, what sports are you starting at things? And I would guess that if, if you're constantly trying to put out there how tough and strong you are, and that is that that's going to knock down how you feel about your manhood, about how you feel about your masculinity. And so it may not be about looks as much as it is for girls, or maybe not as much about relationship, but like kind of that status of like how tough and strong and athletic and, and all of that am I? And kind some, of bragging some, rights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bragging rights is a really good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I feel like boys are a little slower to get on the social media train. I mean, they ha girls have been there for a while. And I think in the last couple of years, we're seeing boys there so much more. And I think with what you're saying, where I am hearing more boys struggle is, I think it becomes a place where it's not just the likes or the ignoring things that I think girls can struggle with. But I think boys take that as an opportunity to really rib each other like they do in real life more. But I think there's so much more really unkindness that's happening mm -hmm. and bullying that's happening among boys. You don't get that playfulness when it's exactly. tight, when it's right. in, yeah, it comes yeah. out a lot meaner, a lot harsher. Yes, exactly. Well, and that, that brings us nicely to our next question, which is kind of about quality of communication and, and how, um, you know, what I would say maybe is indirect communication um, and what effect that has on our children. How does reality living change their ability to pick up on those kinds of social cues where, you know, I read something once, um, well, um, actually taught it for a lot of years where your actual words are such a small percentage of the way you actually communicate and how other people receive it. Your body language, your, your tone of voice, those pieces of communication are 
way more important to communicate meaning than your actual words are. And so that element, which is one of the most important to communication, is gone in a lot of cases. So what effect is that having on their ability to, you know, learn to communicate effectively in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wrote a little booklet. I don't know that I've told you all this, but uh, called Taming the Technology Monster. I teach a parenting class on technology. And so I did a little one on that. And and one of the things I talk about in there is how kids today are experiencing one of the things I talk about in there is how kids today are experiencing audience more than they're experiencing community. And so they're not even having, I mean, I think, you know, you turn a phone on yourself and you do your own video, selfie video thing, you're not even getting social cues. And so, you know, there's a study I read out of UCLA that, that, that took fifth graders and they had one group that went five days without any kind of technology. And those kids, as we would guess, were significantly better at reading emotions on someone else's face, just because of what technology did to their brains. That's not even social media. That's not even reality living like you all are talking about. And so the fact that they're putting things out there and getting likes, it's all about performance rather than engagement. And so there's no sense of having to read, having to evaluate, did that work well with the other person? Did they receive that well? And so I think it's creating a lot more impulsivity and a lot more really, I mean, I would say it comes off as arrogance, but it's really insecurity fueling that because there's just not the give and take and back and forth. That's a good question to ask in the, in the arena of social media. Are you performing for an audience or are you trying to connect with a community? Because really like God can use it for a really good things when it's used to connect with community. But when it's just performance, that's when it gets dangerous and addictive and all of those things. So Speaking of addiction, what are some signs that parents should be looking for in their kids to know that they have a problem with, I mean, there's so many problems that could come from this, but I like, maybe it is addiction to that and, and, you know, withdrawal from actual social situations because of it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's uh, depression because of that. What, what signs should they be looking for that they might need to seek professional help in this area? Well, I mean, I think the obvious would be an, a really increased usage of technology that they're just on their phones all the time. If it starts to feel like that, if you set up boundaries and they blow the boundaries over and over and over, and then, and then you can tell emotionally, you know, if your child is up in their room with their gadget, whatever they're using, and, and they come back down and you feel like they've plummeted emotionally. And it's so hard to tell because right about the time they're really using that is when they're hitting adolescence, when there's a lot of sullenness anyway, and moodiness. So that gets tricky, but more than usual, more than feels normal. And I think the, I would pay a lot of attention to the degree that they're fighting you when you say, Okay, everybody's going unplugged. And, and I think that is a good, we can talk about that a lot about technology, but I think that's such a good practice just to have as a family that everybody's spending, you know, Sundays we take three hours off technology or, you know, we know families who do technology free spring breaks. I mean, things as much as y'all can unplug together and that you're modeling it for them. I think that's really important. Yeah, because yeah, we feel healthier 
mm-hmm. when we're not plugged in all the time and it's the same for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm hearing you say things like watch for this, watch for that. And that's all incredibly important and valuable. But what do we do? Like I'm talking about from a very practical standpoint, how do parents fight this and help their children to find their self-worth in Christ instead of how many clicks or likes they get? Like give our audience some very practical to do things that help us feel like we're regaining a sense of control over what's happening to our kids in this arena. Yeah. I mean, I think the first practical thing, which sounds really basic, and I feel like y'all probably talk about this a lot, is we just need to watch what they're doing. I mean, I think we need to start there. And I've talked to so many parents who you would think are watching and aren't watching because of time and because there's too much to do and all those things. But I think whether it's Teen Safe, whether it's Disney Circle, I mean, that you have something installed on every gadget they're using. Bark is a great one for social media to watch, especially in the very beginning, so that you see the interactions they're having. You see if they're posting something, they're taking it down, that you're not just following them, but you actually are watching on their device. I think that's always where you want to start. And that each time they get, so when they get Instagram for the first time, that you have a conversation about loneliness is not going to show up on Instagram. And I want you to talk to me and I'm going to be checking back in with you regularly. So they feel like you're really in it with them. And I think for us to be really careful that we're not just lecturing, that we're not talking about, but you know, maybe when you let them then get on Snapchat that you say, okay, the deal is if you get to have this, that means once a week or every other week or, you know, however often we're going to have check-ins where we have Snapchat conversations. And so that you say, tell me how it's affecting you. What's something that's happened on there that's been hard lately? Where's a place you felt good about yourself? And, and that we're asking questions to engage them so that we're really hearing in real time how it's affecting them. Um, and, you know, Apple now, even if they're on an Apple device, has great screen time limits. But um, another great app is called Moment. And there was even a school in Nashville that was having kids install Moment on their phone And it was fascinating how many kids I would hear say, I had no idea how much I was on social media. And they would then end up wanting to limit themselves. So I think as much as we can let them kind of discover it where it's not just us lecturing, I think that really helps. And stopping and in those times we're having breaks and they're taking Sabbaths, maybe we do things like, okay, so tell me one thing you've done lately in real time where you felt good about yourself. Tell me one time that we're just talking with them and helping remind them who we are. And then we're ending that time with, well, this is who I see you as. And I'm going to tell you three things that I love about you or three things that I've seen in you in the last week that's shown a lot of strength or a lot of courage or something like that, where we're just having conversations that is totally, that are totally separate from that regularly. I love that focus on something good that has happened outside of social media. Like, you don't want it to be like everything good in their life is happening there. And so that makes them want to be there more focus on what's going on actually around you instead of on your phone. That's really good. Well, the focus of our ministry here at million praying moms is to help parents make prayer their first and best response to the challenges of parenting. So can you list a few things you think prayers, sorry, can you list a few things you think parents need to be praying about or for their children as they're battling the effects of this reality living? 
I think predominantly exactly what you all said, that they would find their confidence in Christ and not in likes, attention, response, any of those things, that they would have a, a strong sense of who he's made them to be and how much he loves them and that they would be able to go back to that over and over. And I think, again, that's where we need to be reminding them of who that person is too. And, and so that would be my primary place. My secondary prayer would be that they'd get caught. That if they start to make any bad decisions out of not feeling liked, out of real, reality living, catching up with them, that, that you would catch them. And that is over the 27 years I've been counseling kids. I can't tell you how often I have parents who say it. So I pray, prayed, I've had parents say, so I prayed that prayer about the kids would get caught and I sure caught them doing whatever it was. Yeah, that's so good. I know how many times did my mother say, I will find out what you did. And sometimes it does, they don't find out until 20 years later, you know, but we did, things have a way of coming out. And um, that's a fantastic prayer that, that the Lord would be gracious enough to our kids to allow them to be found out so that he can, um, pull into place the the team of people that they need to help them move forward with that. I love that. So see, we always like to wrap up our show by asking our guests to share one verse or passage that they're currently praying for the children in their lives. You blew us away on our last episode with the perfect verse of all time. So I, I'm, I got low expectations this time. I don't know. It was so great the last time. <laughs> I don't know if you can beat that. <laughs> How would you apply the word and prayer to what you're praying for kids in this generation on this topic? Well, I, I think even as we were talking in the beginning about me having this little baby nephew, I think what I'm probably praying for him right now a lot pertains to what we're talking about. And it's out of the message too. And it's Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it says, so this is my prayer that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well, learn to love appropriately, which feels significant when we're talking about reality living you need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent not sentimental gush live a lover's life circumspect and exemplary a life jesus will be proud of bountiful and fruits from the soul making jesus christ attractive to all getting in getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of god oh amen well so much for having low expectations <laughs> Again. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Thank you. Yes. And Sissy, thank you so much for joining us again today. Tell our listeners where they can connect with you online, on social media, since we're talking about it. Raisingboysandgirls.com is our website and we have lots of information on there. And then we're we're trying to ramp up our social media game, but we not really, but on Instagram, we're trying to put out more and more helpful information. That's really practical about a lot of different issues. And so Sissy Goff is where you can find me. And then you can find me as well as David Thomas and Melissa Trevathan on raising boys and girls on Instagram. Awesome. We love Instagram. We're million praying moms is like thriving over there and we're connected with you guys. And it's, it's lots of fun when it's community, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's it for today, friends. We want to encourage you to come back next week for a follow-up show all about the most popular social media apps among tweens and teens today and how they're impacting your family. We're going to pick them apart one by one to make sure you understand exactly what they are 
and give you guidance and tools as you make important decisions about them for your children. As always, you can find any specifics from our show in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, including a link to order Sissy's newest book, Raising Worry-Free Girls, Helping Your Daughter Feel Braver, Stronger, and Smarter in an Anxious World. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free story behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.